Welcome back to the Word of Life podcast. This week's sermon starts at a brand new series from Pastor Tom. I'm really excited about the series because we're talking all about the books of Luke and Acts and getting a chance to read scripture together throughout the week. If you'd like to deepen your faith through the reading plan that we're doing as a church, visit our website and scroll down to Luke and Acts. Tap that button to get started. Also, make sure you're connected with us on Facebook and Instagram to join the conversation and share what you're learning in God's Word this week. All right, let's check out this week's message. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Everyone ready to dive into Luke and Acts? So I'll let you know, um, this series has been cooking for a long time behind the scenes. There's been a lot of conversations that have gone into this, some planning that's gone into it. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I'm as excited about this series as any series I've ever been a part of. Um, I truly think as we dig into this and we spend the rest of the summer going through the books of Luke and Acts together, uh, I think great stuff is going to come out of it. And so I, for one, am all kinds of excited about doing this. One of the things that we're doing is we're inviting everybody, um, anyone that would call Word of Life their home church or anybody that um, just wants to join the journey with us. We're inviting everyone to be a part of a reading plan to go through Luke and Acts together. There's a daily reading portion, and if you follow online, there's a place where you can put uh, your insights, your reflections, what came to you, what stood out to you. You can put all that in the chat or, of course, on our social media. Let us know what you think, what jumped out at you, what you know, meant something deep to you. We want to know what you're getting as we go through this together, as we read through this. And I'll let you know now, because uh, I know a number of you are going to be wanting to pray for this and anticipating big things. When it comes to the week that we're going to look at what happened in Acts 2 and the incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have a wonderful time of ministry and a wonderful time uh, to pray for people and invite people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And and I'm expecting great things to come from that. So be ready for that. That's a, a little inkling of things that are to come. But today we're going to start uh, looking at this as an introduction and things that uh, you know, are helpful as we dig into these books. Things that are um, you know, good for us to have in mind, the things that are good for us to have our focus on as we get into this. Uh, the plan itself starts on Tuesday, so hopefully you're able to do that, whether it's online via uh, version or whether you're following the card that we handed out on the way into church today. But it starts on Tuesday, and so we're doing, uh, treating today like somewhat of an introduction to get us ready for this. And there's a couple of things to keep in mind with uh, Luke and Acts. There are two books uh, that you'll find in the Bible. The Bible is a collection of 66 books. And these two books are found in the New Testament. If you have a Bible, uh, the New Testament is about the last quarter of the Bible. And it uh, charts the life, death, resurrection, ascending back to heaven, and the origins of the church in the New Testament. And the books of Luke and Acts are both in the New Testament. And if you were to ask somebody who wrote most of the New Testament, the knee-jerk instinctive response will be Paul. And to those people, I love you but you're wrong. Paul was a close second. If you're counting by chapters or verses, or if you're counting by books, there's different ways you can slice this. But if you do a word count, Luke, in Luke and Acts, wrote 26% of the New Testament. Paul comes in a silver medal at 23, which is still pretty good. But the book of Luke and Acts, as we'll hear about in a moment, it really is considered one work. It's two volumes of the same work, and this project would have taken approximately three years to complete. And the book of Luke covers the birth of Jesus until his ascension to heaven, which is around 33 years. And then the book of Acts also covers approximately 30 years. And Luke, we're told, is a doctor, and it's well observed that he writes with a keen eye for detail. He includes specifics. He goes into great detail in a number of things. It's also likely that Luke wasn't Jewish. 
Which means that of all the biblical authors, which is over 40 people, Luke is likely the only one that isn't Jewish. Which means it's even more remarkable that he has this incredible deep knowledge understanding of the Old Testament, considering that he is not a Jewish person himself. Now, Luke and Acts, they are, cons- uh, they are one work. It is one work that is completed over two volumes. And Megan and I, when we were in Bible college, we did, uh, they called it an intensive for Luke and Acts. An intensive meant that we would get to college at nine in the morning, and we would start lectures, and it wouldn't finish until five. And we would do that Monday through Friday for a solid week. Monday through Friday. Now, how many of you know that not all college professors are created equally? There are some college professors and some that we had that were brilliant. I mean, highly intelligent, an incredible grasp on biblical understanding, deeply intelligent people, and good people too. But boy, oh boy, when they got up to teach, oh my gosh, you wanted to just watch the static on your TV before you have to listen to another lecture from those guys. Fortunately for us, the New Testament professor that we had, uh, he was an Australian guy. We went to uh, Bible college in Sydney, Australia. And the professor that we had, before going into academics, he was a church planter. And so he was uh, originally into church planting, was a good old-fashioned preacher. And then later on in life, he went back to college and got his master's and doctorate, and then went into academics as a professor. And he still had like this real fire in his bones. And he was this Australian guy called Dr. David Parker. And so we would be in these classes, and then at different moments throughout the day, he would just break into preacher mode. He would go from professor to, you know, into full-on, I'm going to start a revival preacher mode, and he had this big Australian accent, so he'd just be, you know, well, you know, you can see here that Jesus went into town, and then revival breaks out, you know, and he would just do that in threat class, so that was Luke and Acts. But one of the things that he pointed out is that in uh, the Bible as we have it today, uh, if you look at the New Testament, it'll go in the order of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And one of the points that our professor, Dave Parker, would say that it's a shame that when we compiled the Bible that we separated Luke and Acts and stuck John in the middle. If we would have put, had John somewhere else, if we would have reordered the Bible, just that way, not take anything out, not minus anything. I'm not trying to suggest that we need to take this out of the Bible. Oh my gosh. But if we were to put Luke and Acts together in the Bible, perhaps we wouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that they're two separate books. Those should be treated separately. They should be treated differently. Luke and Acts, this is good for us to grasp today, is that Luke and Acts is one work split over two volumes. One work split over two volumes. In the book of Luke, Jesus is the hero of the story. In the book of Acts, Jesus is the hero of the story. He's the hero of the story, even though it starts to shift as Jesus is now in heaven, he's ascended to heaven, but the Holy Spirit comes and continues the mission that Jesus started working through the apostles and through the disciples and through the followers. The hero of Luke's gospel is Jesus. The hero of the Acts of the Apostles continues to be Jesus. And we're going to read in a moment about a man named Theophilus. Now, who is Theophilus? The truth is we don't know an awful lot about him. It's likely that he's a wealthy man that funded the project. I want to say funded the project. Like I mentioned, it's estimated that it would have taken Luke three years to write this work. It, uh, a piece of paper, just like one of these, was worth about a week's wages in the first century. The amount of travel that Luke went to, the amount of uh, interviews that he had with people to try to gather all the information that he needed to complete this work. Theophilus, the best working theory is that he funded that ministry. He funded this project. And it's pretty typical in the first century to give a shout out to the person as the benefactor. And we'll see that Luke does that in just a moment. Another important thing to note is that uh, there's a writing technique in antiquity in first century work 
And that's helpful for us. And that's how that a book starts really sets out where the rest of the book is going. So as we get into Luke, as we get into Acts, how these books start gives us some insight on how they're going to unfold and how they're going to continue. And we're going to look at the introduction of both Luke and Acts today. But this idea of how it starts really sets out the stall of how it's going to continue. It's very easy to observe in the New Testament letters. If you look at the first paragraph or so in the New Testament letters and you just underline the different themes that you see just in that first paragraph, you'll also be able to see that as the rest of the letter unfolds, you'll see those same themes coming up again and again, and you won't see a ton of new stuff. And that's something that we can see from Luke. So as we dig into this, we're going to see what is it that we can see from these first few verses by way of introduction that shapes our understanding, that shapes our expectation about what the rest of Luke and the rest of Acts is going to be able to teach us. What's the point of this three-year project that Luke has started? Why has Theophilus decided that it's worth investing a huge amount of money into this? So let's go ahead. Let's dig in. Luke 1.1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an account for you, most honorable Theophilus. So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now over to Acts 1.1. In my first book, the book of Luke, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So what are the things that Luke is pointing to from the beginning? In these first few words, these first few sentences, this first paragraph from Luke and Acts, what is it that Luke's pointing to? Why has he undertaken this three-year project? Well, the first thing he says is, confident this is true. So you can be certain of the truth is what he writes. Confident that this is true. Also, something to pass on. Luke says to Theophilus, everything you were taught. Now, if you read the book of Luke and then read the book of Acts, as we'll see, what you're taught is something you, in turn, supposed to teach. What you experience of God, we are called to help others experience. We learn it and we teach it. Another thing, what, did Jesus, uh, what Jesus did and accomplished. Everything Jesus began to do is what Luke writes. And also what Jesus taught and declared. Everything Jesus began to do and teach. That he's alive that there is a kingdom, there is a better way, and that Jesus made it possible for you and I to be a part of that. Now, to communicate all of this, Luke tells a story. To communicate all of this, Luke tells the story about what happens and the historical events that unfold. He tells us that this isn't based on hearsay, but this is rather based on research, and this is based on him gathering eyewitness testimonies. This is not just something that someone heard once upon a time. And we're told that this story tells of something being fulfilled and something beginning. Luke is telling a story to communicate all of this, who Jesus is, what it means to live in the kingdom of God, the consequence for you, the consequence for me, what it means for us. And he's telling all of this by telling a story of something being fulfilled and something beginning. Luke 1.1, the events that have been fulfilled, something has been accomplished, something has been achieved, something has been completed. And then in Acts, and in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began. This is not just about what's been fulfilled, but also about what has began. That even though Jesus is in heaven, even though he has ascended, 
after the resurrection. Still, the Holy Spirit continues the story. Luke is telling a story about things that have been fulfilled and things that have begun. We read that Jesus fulfilled ancient promises and prophecies, that there is a covenant that was accomplished and completed. But he also began something new, something fresh, something exciting. And that was initiated upon the earth, that Jesus came and he started a kingdom. And the disciples were sent to continue the work of Jesus and continue his ministry. We see the community of faith, the church begin. We see the Holy Spirit descend on believers and fill them in a way that we have never seen before. And there are things that have been fulfilled and things that have begun. And this is not a story that we should feel removed from. Theophilus wasn't there either. This is not a story that we should feel removed from. Reading Luke and Acts should give me confidence in the story of Jesus and inspire me to find my place in that story. And as believers, we affirm that the Bible is truth, and a lot of the Bible is relaying events and stating that this is historically accurate. But I don't think millions of Christians are gonna wake up tomorrow morning to read their Bible because they have a fascination with Middle Eastern history. The Bible records history, but is more than a historical record. An interesting diversion in the Old Testament we're just going to take a quick detour right now. I hope that's okay. But in the Old Testament, there's a number of books that we will refer to as the history books because they chart historical events. And if you have a, a Bible, these 12 books are kind of between, if you think, like the beginning and the middle of the Bible. They're kind of squeezed in there, like the middle 20%, the middle, like after the first 20%, the next 20% is the historical books. And the books are, and we're not going to quiz anybody on this, just so you know. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Those books are considered the history books. And in these books, you'll see a phrase that's sprinkled throughout. And the phrase is, blank is recorded in the book of blank. You'll see that sprinkled out, and I'm going to rattle off a couple for you here. In Joshua 3, so the sun st stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? Another example from 1 Kings. The rest of the events in Solomon's reign, including all his deeds and wisdom, are recorded in the book of the Acts of Solomon. Chronicles. The rest of the events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are recorded in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. The book of Esther. When an investigation was made, a Mordecai story was found to be true. The two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. That's a cool story to tell your kids at bedtime. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. And this whole thing, this whole like blank is recorded in the book of blank, happens over 50 times in the history books of the Bible. This idea that the biblical authors, they're telling us that we're not just recording history but how God is at work in human history. Because they're pointing to other records of history and saying, if you purely want the history, there are places you can get that. Our objective is not just to relay the historical events because there are other places we're told over 50 times we are recording history for history's sake. We're recording what we're recording that is historically accurate and historically true and historically verifiable we're telling you because we want you to see God's hand through human history. God at work through his people. So we're saying, if you want to read more about this, go check it out. 
The, the, what I'm saying is accurate. If you want to go verify, you want to go double check, there's a place you can do that. You want pure history, there's other places you can do that. But the biblical authors want us to know, and they wanted the people to know, and they wrote very explicitly over 50 times, what I'm telling you, there's a truth here you need to catch. You need to observe God at work. We want you to see how he's moving in these situations, how he's moving in these historical events, how he's moving in these stories. And the Bible, it is a book, but it's not just a book. I think it's fair to say that a Bible is a gift from God. Amen. Amen. And even though we would recognize that there are over 40 different human authors, they were all inspired in a unique way to write what was written. That the Bible is God-breathed, that he is the author of the Bible. Now how the mechanics of how that worked, we don't know and we can only speculate. But if you look at the history of how we got the Bible today, it's remarkable to see how God's hand was all over, how the Bible remained intact with the 66 books that we have today. And as someone with a faith perspective, the history shows that God's hand is clearly on this book to ensure that we have it. Uh, an excellent book. This is a massive topic that I'm certainly not going to get into right now. But an excellent book, if this is something interesting to you, is called um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh and Sean McDowell. It's a father-son um, team that wrote that. It's an impressive book. But if you're interested more about how we got the Bible intact, the history of it, um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict is an excellent book. So why do we believe that the Bible is more than history and more than a book? And it's a fair question to ask. And we should be ready to answer questions from people who don't share our faith experience. And there's a moment in the life of Jesus that sheds some light on this. How we should approach the Bible. What should be on our mind as we read this? If it's more than history, if it's more than just a book. And Jesus had just had a dispute with some religious experts and had caused a scene. So they're going to try and trap Jesus with a gotcha moment by asking a question publicly for Jesus to answer the question publicly. Hoping that Jesus humiliates himself. Now, Dr. Dave Parker taught us that it was common for rabbis to debate these kind of things, although what he said was, it was common for rabbis to debate these kind of things. That's a really good impression of Dave Parker, right? I got a shrug. I'd like to see you try. All right. Matthew 22. This is Jesus. He's being questioned under devious pretenses, and he's being asked to address a question, and this is what comes at him. Verse 35, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, this is a common question among the rabbis, and they would have debated this and asked each other, the, what's the greatest commandment? And the idea is that, you know, what's the greatest commandment is to ask them of all that's written in the scriptures as we have it. What encapsulates the heart of this the most? What's the best verse to summarize all that's within? And this is the, them asking Jesus to summarize the scriptures. And Jesus being Jesus doesn't give the one, he gives them two, but he, say, he replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God and love people. This is what Jesus is saying when he's put on the spot with people trying to pressure him, trying to trip him up, trying to humiliate him, trying to have a gotcha moment, saying, okay, Jesus, summarize the Bible, summarize the scriptures. Jesus says, 
love God, and love people. And if you approach the Bible, as we dig into this plan, and we're inviting everyone to join along with us and read through Luke and read through Acts, this principle applies to the whole Bible. If you approach the Bible with a, okay, Lord, show me, how do I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind? How do I love my neighbor as I love myself? Your Bible reading will be one of the biggest blessings you've ever experienced in your entire life. You can approach the Bible with a number of different motives, a number of different reasons, some good, some bad. But I want to take a lesson from Jesus. And as we read through Luke and Acts together, I want to refresh. Okay, Lord, how do I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind? Lord, how do I love my neighbor as myself? If we read the Bible, and what we read and how the Holy Spirit uses it, it shapes our hearts to love God more and figure out how to live with each other better, being more loving towards each other. If that's how we approach the Bible, then we are in line with the intentions of the author. And this is true of any portion of the Bible, to look for ways of how to love God and love people and what it means to live for God and live in his kingdom and live with him as being our central focus and to live with God's heart for people. And I hope that as we get through Luke and Acts together, as we have this shared experience, as we read these passages together, that that shapes all of us, that we can all point to moments where God has really dealt with us to put him more and more centrally and to love each other greater and greater. A group of people, a group of people that we read about in Acts, growing in the community of God, beginning the church, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, declaring a message of a savior, proclaiming an eternal kingdom, that we don't deserve to be a part of, but we're welcomed into, with an ever-increasing love for God and people. This is a movement that started in Acts, but for over 2,000 years has been changing the world and will continue to change the world. There were hundreds of Jewish rabbis in the first century and dozens that gathered a large following. But here we are 2,000 years later, still following Jesus. Because the, uh, the story of Jesus didn't end on the cross, and it didn't end when he ascended back to heaven. The story of Jesus didn't end on the cross, and it didn't end when he ascended back to heaven, because things weren't just fulfilled, but things began to. And check out this, it's back to Acts 1, verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is Jesus talking. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And during the earthly life of Jesus, we see him traveling and ministering to Jerusalem, Judea, and even Samaria. But now, the conversation has broadened to the ends of the earth. And as the book of Acts unfolds, we see the followers of Jesus, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, go to the ends of the earth, all over the Roman Empire, the far reaches of the known world. And if you know the book of Acts, you'll know that it's a wild series of events. It covers 30 years of ministry from the earliest followers of Jesus. In the book of Acts, we see the greatest miracles we could ever imagine. Healings and people being raised from the dead. Signs and wonders of the power of God. The Holy Spirit comes in a new and powerful way. Jail walls falling down. God changing people's lives in incredible ways. Whole cities breaking out in revival. Evil people having their hearts completely transformed. The greatest things we could ever imagine. The wildest moments that God can bring about we see in the book of Acts. But there were challenges too. Not all the cities responded well, and riots broke out. The apostles were thrown in prison. Paul was beaten so badly, everyone was convinced he was dead. There's a jail and shipwrecks and murder. There's corruption and deceit and courtroom drama. 
The book of Acts is a wild ride and a thrilling read, and this is how it ends. All the way, Acts 28, verse 30. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. There's a sudden conclusion. We got the wildest story Hollywood could ever come up with. People being raised from the dead, people being beaten up so bad, they're convinced they're dead. We've got prison walls breaking down, we've got shipwrecks, we've got jail, we've got all the stuff. And then Paul hung out and kind of told people about Jesus. No one really messed with him. This roller coaster that Luke takes us on suddenly stops. This is no fitting way to conclude a three-year masterpiece. The longest work of the New Testament. This is not an appropriate way to wrap this up. This cost Theophilus a fortune, and that's how we're going to tie this up. No grand finale, no big final moment. The point is simply this, that Luke is making. The book of Acts ends, but the story doesn't. The book of Acts ends, but the story doesn't. You don't wrap up an epic by, and then everyone just basically left Paul alone to, you know, teach some people about Jesus. That's not how you finish this story. My friends, the story has not finished. The book of Acts ends, but the story doesn't. And I was listening to a podcast by a preacher called Louis Giglio. He pastors a church in Atlanta, Georgia. I was listening to his podcast, and I'm shamelessly stealing this from him. But there's a graph that I want to show you. And on this graph, it charts um, the percentage of faith people. So let's go ahead and put that up. So I'm going to talk you through this for just a moment. Um, this is not numerical. This is percentage. So it's, it's not about how many millions or how many thousands, et cetera. This is just percentage. And what's being demonstrated here is that of all the people that are, so let's look at Hindus, the second one down. All the Hindus, that massive percentage number are all in Asia Pacific, region of the world. And all the Buddhists, that giant percentage of them, most of the Buddhists in the world today live in Asia Pacific. And then the Muslim today, massive percentage, Asia Pacific. And what you'll notice is that the Christians are very evenly spread out all across the world. Now again, this is not numerical, this is percentage, this is about proportion. No one region of the world can claim that we are more Christian than anywhere else. The message of Jesus went out to the ends of the earth and changed people's lives all around the ends of the earth. Thanks so much, guys. So this is, uh, this is a quote from the article. Let me read this to you real quick. The graphic distribution of religious group varies considerably. Several religious groups are heavily concentrated in the Asia-Pacific region, including the vast majority of Hindus, 99%, Buddhists, 99%, adherents of folk or traditional religions, 90%, and members of other world religions, 89%. The Asia-Pacific region also is home to most of the world's Muslims, 62%. Of the major religious groups covered in this study, Christians are the most evenly dispersed. Roughly, equal numbers of Christians live in Europe, 26%, Latin America and the Caribbean, 24%, and the Sub-Saharan Africa, 24%, and Middle East, North America aren't far behind. All the other world faiths have statistically been localized. They're extremely popular in one area or region with some expressions in other places. But the message of Jesus has truly become a worldwide movement. 
There's no one place that Jesus' followers have done well and stopped. This has gone all over the world. Everywhere the message of Jesus has been preached, there have been people responding. People aware of the devastation of sin and responding to the good news of a Savior. The book of Acts may have ended, but the story didn't. When you become a part of God's story, you become part of something infinitely bigger than yourself. When you become a part of God's story, you become something, part of something infinitely bigger than yourself. You become part of a story where you're not the hero anymore. You become part of a story where you're not the author anymore. But rather, you become an active part of God's story. And he's writing a story that's changing the world. Now, this week, as we get into this plan, I hope that there's a large number of you that are able to do this, that join in, that jump in, that want to do this. If you're going to do it online, there's a few different groups that have been set up, and there's a way for you to be able to chat and share your insights, share your reflections, share what's standing out to you. Of course, this is free of charge. There's no cost involved to any of this. And we hope that people are engaged. And I've come to the point where I do almost all my Bible reading on either a phone or a tablet now. Incredibly convenient. Uh, I also love that the version has the ability to be able to have audio Bible. Audio Bible is a wonderful thing. There are people here you don't enjoy reading. It's just a headache for you. It's something you don't enjoy. I encourage you, make it as easy as possible. Go on there, follow the plan, hit play, and let the Bible be spoken to you. Which, quick side note, is how it was meant to be read anyway. Because no one could read in the first century. All right, I'm going to get back to my notes. But I hope that you decide to jump in this. And let me say, when we do a plan like this, the, the biggest challenge that we find is that we start strong, and then we have a day where we're real, real busy, or we hit snooze too many times on the alarm clock, and it becomes a headache. And so we miss a day, or we miss two, or we miss three. And so we just decide to throw in the towel and give up completely. Please, 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 please. If you do this with us, and you miss a couple of days, or you miss a day here or there, please don't let that be the reason you decide to jump out of this plan. You know, I tell you, we're not taking, you know, we're not, we're not taking attendance. No one's giving out letter grades. This is all about growing closer to loving God and loving people. This is why we're doing this. We're not doing this so that we can check the boxes. We're doing this because we want our hearts to transform. As we hear the story of Jesus, be inspired about our place in that story. And we're going to be speaking on this um, over the next number of weeks as we work through this together. And there are consistent themes in Luke and Acts that you'll see. First is that you'll see a big emphasis on the community of believers. You'll see the power of the Holy Spirit on full display. You'll see the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. And these are consistent themes, and you'll hear about these on Sundays for sure. But the community of believers, you'll see that they were eating together. And that's a separate study into itself. If somebody wanted to take the time and chart all the references to people getting together and eating, massive study that you can do in Luke and Acts who Jesus and the disciples associated with, who was included in this community of believers, the togetherness of the disciples in the church, and the power of the Holy Spirit, a gift that God blessed to his followers to empower and lead their lives as believers, to make our spirits come alive and the fulfillment of Old Testament promises, the joy of seeing ancient promises being fulfilled as Jesus accomplishes the impossible. And we can see that uh, here in the first few verses, of Luke, and we can see these in Acts. Those elements, the community of believers being strong, the power of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. As we look back to the first few verses of Luke and the first few verses of Acts, what Acts essentially is a table of contents of what's to come, we can see these three things coming up here. 
Luke 1.1, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled, the Old Testament being fulfilled among us, us, the community. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, that the community has progressed beyond just the early disciples to us, this new community of believers, the church. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth. You can be certain of the Old Testament promises being fulfilled of everything you were taught. And then into Acts. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do, the Old Testament being fulfilled through what Jesus did on the cross and what he taught until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is essential in Jesus' mission. Essential. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Things were fulfilled, and things began. As we read through Luke and Acts together, it should give us confidence in the story of Jesus and inspire us to find our place in that story. And yes, the Bible records history, but it's more than a historical record. Yes, the Bible's a book, but it's more than a book. This is God breathed. This is God's gift to us to learn what it means to love Him, put Him first, and what it means to love others. And while the book of Acts ends, the story doesn't. And when you become part of God's story, you become part of something infinitely bigger than yourself. And this week, I'm going to ask, there's two things, two things you do. First is, start the plan with us on Tuesday. Start the plan with us. My question is, what is the worst thing that can happen? I mean, you read some Bible. Start the plan with us on Tuesday. And the second thing is share your insights somehow with someone at least once. Whether this is you participating in the chat on version, whether it's you putting something on the church's social media platform, whether it's you texting a friend, or whether it's you and your spouse talking it over, share your insights somehow with someone at least once. And when reading, remember, this is all about us growing in a love for God and a love for people. And you'll see continually, I promise, what it means to be part of a community of believers what it means to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. How amazing it is that we're living in the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. That we're part of a story that is much bigger than ourselves. There's a strange misconception that when we become a believer, when we follow Jesus, that God becomes a part of our story. That when we come to the point where we're ready to put our faith in Jesus and we're ready to start following Him, that God becomes a part of our story. The truth is, we become a part of His story. If our focus is on God becoming a part of our story, then it's almost like we have a God section of our lives. And in this God section, that's where going to church belongs. That's where reading our Bible belongs. That's where trying to be a good person belongs. That's where never ever seeing a swear word when you drop a hammer on your foot belongs. I mean, go through life and think that I want God to be a part of my story and when we live like that, then, yeah, we thank Him when things are going well, and we ask Him to help when things are going badly. We want to keep Him involved in our lives somehow, but the invitation is not for us to make God a part of our lives and make Him a part of our story, but it's rather to let our lives be a part of His story.
If one person claps, we all have to. It means that you're not trying to find room for God, but you spend your life blown away that He made room for you. If we live with the perspective that we're not trying to have God be a part of our story, but rather we want our lives to be involved in His story, we don't want to be the hero of our story anymore. We don't want to be the author of our story anymore. We want to join our whole lives to be a part of His story. It means we're not trying to find room for God, but we're blown away that He made room for us. And maybe you're here today. And as I've talked about all this, and I'll be honest, this is a strange message today as I've tried to set out uh, where we're going to go for the next few weeks with this series. But something from today has clicked with you. And this idea about, you know what, my life, yeah, I'm trying to be the author. I'm the hero of my story. And as we talk about, no, 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 let God be the hero of your story. Let God be the author of your story. Follow. Maybe something clicked for you today. Maybe something from one of the worship songs that we sang earlier on, or maybe one of the Bible verses that we read. Maybe something just clicked with you and you're like, you know what? I'm at that point where I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to put my faith in Him. And I don't know your story. I don't know the circumstances that have led to you being in church today, but I know that you're here. And I'm going to believe by faith that it's God's timing that you're here with this message, with these worship songs, sat next to the person you sat next to. And you're now at that point where there's an invitation from God to say, you know what, are you ready to follow me? And my friends, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And when I pray, I'm going to believe that there are some people in here that are going to cross that line of, you know what, I'm not following God, so I'm going to start following God. It doesn't mean you've got all the answers figured out. A confession to you, I've been a Christian for 18 years now. I definitely don't have all the answers. But 18 years ago, when I made that decision, it is the best decision I have ever made. And in those 18 years, I've had ups, I've had downs, and I have never once regretted my decision to follow Jesus. And I believe that that can be something that you can say today. So I want to invite everyone here, if you mind just closing your eyes and bowing your heads. It's just to give some privacy to those around you and give you a chance to focus on what really matters right now. But if you're here today and you're honest enough and you're brave enough to say, you know what, I'm not following God, but I want to start today. I want to be a part, I want my life to be a part of His story that is changing the world, that has been changing the world for thousands of years. You're ready, you're at that point, both in person and online. If that's you today, if you could just put your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for in just a moment. Amen, anybody else here? Amen, anybody else? I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna make you do anything strange or uncomfortable. But when we pray in just a moment, I'd love to know who I'm praying for. Online, just push the button that says, I raise my hand. Anybody else here that says, Tom, I'm ready to start. I'm ready to take my first step of faith. Amen. Awesome. Amen. Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate people making the best decision they can ever make today. We're going to pray a prayer together. And the words are going to be on the screen. I'll say a line, and I want you to pray this back with me. So I'll say a line, you repeat it back. If you're here and you're a believer, pray this, believing that someone is praying this for the first time. If you put your hand up or you're praying for this for the first time, I encourage you, believe this with the faith that this has the power to change your life today. Come on, everybody. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind. 
and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, one more time, everybody. Let's celebrate. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Throughout this series, we're going to be learning about some key themes through the book of Luke and Acts, namely the community of believers, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. I want to invite you to read along with us this week in our church-wide reading plan. This is an awesome chance to deepen your faith and read scripture with the whole church family. For details on all that, head to our website, that's wordoflifeag.org, and scroll down to Luke and Acts. Join the conversation happening on Facebook and Instagram and share your thoughts on what you're reading. We'd love to hear how God is speaking to you through this series. Hope you have a great rest of your week.